Pastor Xavier Reese anticipates the glorious conclusion to a conflict that has shaped all of history. God is for Israel. The scriptures are very, very clear. Listen to Paul the Apostle. And so all of Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, Romans 11:26. The reason being is, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see, God's not through with Israel, is he? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. While the Bible doesn't convey precisely how many more wars might yet be fought between the Arab nations and Israel, it does reveal that God will providentially rescue Israel in the final cataclysmic war when all of the nations shall be gathered together around the targeted nation. And just as the up-to-the-minute news of the day has much to report on the ever-developing narrative, Pastor Xavier demonstrates the pages of Scripture detail the precise past, present, and future events unveiled before our eyes. Today's ever-relevant simple truths are drawn from the continuation of a study in Jeremiah chapter 30. Let's listen. The message is entitled, Israel's Tribulation and Deliverance. Chapter 30, 31, for the most part, contains prophecies that are short-term and long-term fulfillment of the restoration of the people and the land. But for the most part, all of it is for the long-term fulfillment. In chapter 30, verse 24 at the end, he says, In the latter days you will consider it, so we are not left to our own interpretation. Even though he's talking to Israel in their perilous condition of the day before Babylon, it is limited to the latter days. He goes all the way into the future. Very important that we understand this. Now the purpose behind the written document, noted was to give hope to the captives regarding Yahweh's promise of the national restoration there in verse 3. I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah. Judah and Israel are mentioned with the whole promise of being one as a nation. Yahweh said, I will cause them to return to the land that I give to their fathers. It will be a literal returning to the land. Literally, not spiritually. Hey, let's open the document. Let's open the title deed. Who holds the pink slip? The Jews do. Now, it's not time for them to possess the land, but they hold the deed. All right? It's theirs. God told many of his prophets, as well as the New Testament, the fact that he would scatter Israel and the Jews throughout all the world. And in the latter days, he would bring them back. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, many, many, many others. Now, what we're studying here is we haven't seen happen. This fits into the Great Tribulation. So this is the promised restoration of Israel. Now notice secondly, in verse 4 through 11, the perilous tribulation of Israel. Judah and Israel are under Babylonian power and authority, right? They're one even in captivity. The nature of the day is given could certainly have a present uh, distress application in part to Babylon and the siege, but the context 
reveals looking beyond to the ultimate great tribulation of Israel's time. Now notice the day is identified for us as Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. This is another term that is synonymous with the great tribulation. And the response is, Alas, for that day is great. He says, So that none is like it. It is unique and none like it has ever happened or ever will. Jesus said in Matthew twenty four twenty one, Unless those days were shortened, only three and a half years, no flesh would survive. Because the first three and a half is false peace, as we'll see. The last three and a half is great tribulation. The wrath of God. Now, notice, secondly, in verse 7 at the end. And I divided your verse that way. I left the very last part of verse 7. But he shall be saved out of it. And I put it with verse 8. Don't get upset. Okay, don't walk out. Uh, verse division is not inspired, nor chapter division. And the way they divide them, it's not always the best way. I put it with verse 8. Notice first, the prophet says, But he shall be saved out of it. As their deliverance would come from Babylon, so in the end time. The deliverance from Babylon would only reinforce their trust in God's word that he means what he says. The great tribulation, to an extent, is to prepare Israel for her Messiah. Paul says that in Romans eleven twenty six, Zechariah twelve ten through thirteen speaks about where did you receive these wounds in the house of my friends? They will weep for him. Then the prophet says, For in that day the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, will be for them. The Lord will break his yoke from his, their necks, referring to who? His yoke, the Antichrist. The Lord will burst their bonds. Foreigners shall no longer enslave them. The Jews have never known such a period. The prophet says their deliverance will lead them into the kingdom age in verse 9. So now he jumps ahead. The next chapter deals with the kingdom age, but he kind of just jumps into it in verse 9. He says, and Israel will at that time serve the Lord their God. That's the kingdom age. The millennial reign of Christ on the earth is taught throughout scripture. Now the reason I emphasize this is because again... Many Christians spiritualize it, and they say that it's not literal. Well, Isaiah chapter 2 says it's literal. Isaiah 66, 7 through 9 says it's literal. Uh, the book of Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 6, gives you all the detail, a thousand years. It's all over the scriptures. Now notice 30 and verse 10 through 11. The day will be of great justice. It'll be a day of great justice. Verse 10, God called... On the nation to trust him. In view of the fact that Yahweh had revealed their restoration. They were not to fear or be dismayed. He says, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Trust in me. Don't lean to your own understanding. Don't try your own devices. Hey, you're going into captivity. I'm going to bring you back. There's nothing you can do to avoid captivity. Nothing you can do to avoid the great tribulation. Because part of this is reaping and sowing as we're going to see as we move on the text. Because Israel rejected her Messiah. So God is not just punishing her just as she squirmed. 
just as he's not looking to see how he can make your life miserable, most of the things that we get back is because we've sown that way and we try to blame God for it. We brought it upon ourselves. And so here he is causing them to trust in him. The nation is also addressed as Israel. Notice that in verse 10 there, which means governed by God. This is what God wanted her to do, to yield to his governing of their life. And not to be clever in their own devices. Does that sound familiar? Is that functional for today? (laughs) Notice still in verse 10, God calls on the nation to also rely on his words. Yahweh said, For behold, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity. And then he said, Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet. Not short term, you want to make an application to Babylon, the return of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, fine. But the context and the content dictates the long term and final ultimate fulfillment of the great tribulation. Israel has not seen these days as described here. And then God calls the nation to acknowledge his righteous judgment in verse 11. Yahweh said, I am with you. What a comforting thing. And Yahweh says, Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. What an assurance. That means that when I see things, I'm not to get caught up with what I see, but I'm to get caught up with what God has told me. Okay? I don't live by sight. I don't live by emotions. I live by obedience to what God has revealed. I trust His Word. He will judge all nations who have persecuted the Jews as He has in the past. Yahweh says then, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. The end of verse 11. God was true to his word of the old covenant. If they left him, he would become their enemy. Has that happened? Absolutely. God has to honor his word. God has to judge sin. He can't just ignore it or wink at it. The book of Revelation gives us the horror of that period. The Antichrist, as I said, appears in the world offering false peace, coming upon the white horse in a bow and no arrow. And um, the church is removed at that time. So the men of the church is removed, the Antichrist appears. They both happen simultaneously. Because Paul says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the church cannot be here the same time. So until he who now let is removed, then the Antichrist will appear. You see, we are the only source of restraint on the world. Not the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit isn't obeyed by the non-believer. But we are the witness of Jesus, and we say we're against pornography, we're against abortion, we're against... The so we are the source thumb, if you will, of the world. Once the church is removed, you've got a kingdom of darkness. Now, the Holy Spirit is still here, for there will be the greatest revival. People will be saved in multitudes during the Great Tribulation. There's going to be 144,000 Jews that are going to be sealed by God as evangelists. There's going to be the two prophets that are going to prophesy in Jerusalem. 
And they're going to be able to bring down fire from heaven. And then God will allow them to be overcome and killed. They'll lie in the streets of Jerusalem for three days. Everybody will party the whole world. And then the Spirit of God will come upon them. And everybody will see them. The whole world will see them go up to the sky. How? Oh, internet. Interesting. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bold judgment of God are the wrath of God upon a God-rejecting world. Horrible things such as earthquakes that remove mountains from their very places. Famines, meteorite showers, and many other cataclysmic events of great proportions that are just horrible. A quarter of a million people die at one time in certain, some of the things. God will protect Israel and protect her divinely as the Antichrist persecutes her. Daniel says that he will break that one-week covenant, Daniel 9.27, after he has built the temple. He will walk in and declare himself God, as Jesus said in Matthew 24.15. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, flee to the wilderness, he says. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, he walks in the temple. I'm God. And then, of course, he gives the mark of the beast to everybody. Right hand to forehead. The Antichrist will then persecute Israel... And God will protect her as she flees to the wilderness in Revelation 12, 13 through 17. He will provide for her a sanctuary in the city of Petra. Isaiah 16, we went over that for three and a half years. Israel says we will never leave our land. Listen to me. Israel will flee for her life once more. The important thing to know is that Revelation 3.10 says that God has not appointed us to wrath. That he will keep you and me. From the hour that will come upon the world to test all the earth dwellers. Are you an earth dweller? I'm not. I'm a heavenly citizen. I'm a sojourner. I'm a pilgrim. So I'm promised that I will be removed before that wrath comes to this earth. Romans 5 9, 1 Thessalonians 5 9, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I say this again in emphasis because some Christians believe that you're going to go through the tribulation. Listen. It's not that I don't think God's sufficient for it. But God has promised that we're not going to go through it. Okay? So i rather believe God. Okay? God will execute justice for He can do no other. Jesus will return to the earth in Revelation 19. We will return with Him to fight the battle of Armageddon. And by the way, we're not, if we don't fight, we just follow Him. A sharp edged sword goes forth from His mouth and destroys them all. For 250 miles, there will be blood bridle deep. Pretty heavy, huh? As God destroys the armies of the world who are there, seriously wanting to stop Him from setting up His kingdom. The first thing that Jesus does after He wipes them out is in Matthew 25. He will judge the nations. The context of Matthew 25 is how they dealt with the Jew during the Great Tribulation. Teachers and preachers always abuse that text to lay a big guilt trip on you for missionary work. You gave me a cold water to drink. You visited me in prison. When did we visit you? When, did we do? when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. That context is the Lord's return. He judges the nations into how they dealt with Israel during the Great Tribulation. That's not for missionary work. Study the context. The false prophet and the beast and the Antichrist will be cast in the lake of fire ultimately. Revelation 19.20 Now Satan won't be cast in there until the end of the thousand years. Revelation 20 verse 10 tells us that. Because he's bound for a thousand years. And then after the millennial kingdom, he's allowed to be loose. He lets the lads rebellion to demonstrate that it's the miserable heart of man, not the environment. Because it's the perfect environment. Jesus rules and people still follow Satan. 
at the end. Now don't freak out, that doesn't include you and me, we're glorified. From the tribulation, those who enter the kingdom are those who are still alive, and they enter the kingdom, they have kids, they repopulate. Israel will enter the kingdom to fulfill all the land occupation that God promised to them. And they populate, and they still have sin nature. You and I are glorified. We're kings and priests unto Him. Okay? So don't go freak out, okay? We don't have to go through it all over again, okay? So this is the perilous tribulation of Israel given to us, looking way to the great tribulation. Now notice lastly here, verse 12 down to 17, the precarious condition of Israel. The prophet returns. The hopeless present condition of the nation is described. The spiritual prognosis in verse 12 is given by Yahweh, the great physician. Judah's affliction was incurable. It could not be healed by any but God. You cannot deal with your sin. You must come to God with it. It's incurable. Judah's wound was severe. It was life-threatening, not being right with God. Look at verse 13. The legal judgment is given by Yahweh, the judge of all mankind. There was no one to plead the case or the cause that she might be bound up. It's a, it's a legal term. It's a court term here. Nobody was interceding. There was no one, no healing medicine in her possession. So no one would even intervene for her. Then in verse 14, the treachery of her unfaithfulness is given by Yahweh, her husband. The charges that all her lovers had forgotten her. They did not seek her anymore. Who were they? Her allies. Assyria and Egypt. The instrument that had been used by God was Babylon. For God had wounded her, verse 14 says, with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one. Babylon. Even as he had used Assyria as the rod of his wrath. The reason, notice in verse 14 at the end, was for the multitude of her iniquities and because her sins had increased. So it's not just because God wants to make somebody miserable. The problem is always with sin. The suffering, verse 15, of her life are said to be deserved by Yahweh, the Holy One. Listen. He asked her why she cried about her affliction. The affliction was self-inflicted. God was looking for repentance. He reminds her again of her sorrow, how it was incurable due to the multitude of her iniquities and her sins had increased in verse 15. Often people whine and cry and complain over their condition and their situation when they, in fact, are responsible for bringing it upon themselves. They live a life to themselves on whatever level you want, whether it be materialism, getting a promiscuity, or alcohol, or drug, or whatever it is, and then everything comes home, and they try to blame God or everybody else. No, 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 no. Your life and mine are the sum total of every decision I have ever made. People don't like that today. They want to blame their mom, their dad, Twinkies, and everything else. He reiterates again here that it was God who had done all these things to her. Notice, God takes full responsibility for disciplining His children. And He doesn't think it unjust. You as a father and mother never apologize to your son or daughter for disciplining them, I hope. Now, if you made a mistake, yes. But you certainly didn't apologize for discipline when it was needed. 
If you did, then you destroyed authority. God is of pure rise and to behold evil. He cannot look upon it with condonas, Habakkuk says. He either has to judge your sin under wrath or pardon it under grace. There's only one of two things can happen. Now the positive side. This is their hopeless condition. Now you have the hopeful future condition of the nation that's declared in verse 16 and 17. Notice, first in verse 16, God would act on her behalf and repay all Israel's enemies. All those who had devoured her as a nation would be devoured. Assyria, the rod of God's anger, was devoured by Babylon. All her adversaries, every one of them would go into captivity. History bears record, even to the present modern day, Stalin, Hitler, and many others have followed that path in their nations. All who plunder her, verse 16 says, and made her a prey would be plundered and made a prey by God. The nations who were at one time world powers, and study your history, who persecuted the Jew, it's interesting, they ceased to be world powers after that. In our modern day, Germany, England. England used to be able to boast that the sun never went down in her empire. Now her empire has gone down because she turned away the Jew when Hitler was persecuting them at first. We turned away Jews also from coming into our ports. It's a miracle God didn't wipe us out from world power because we did the same thing. God himself in verse 17 would restore Israel. He would restore health to her. Notice that. He would heal her wound. And he gives the reason why. Because they were called an outcast saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. It was mockery of one not having a husband. You're left to yourself. Yahweh was their faithful God. Yahweh was the one who loved them really. And Yahweh was the one they must look to. The condition of the nation of Israel today looks kind of hopeless, doesn't it? The entire Arab world is against her. But blindness is is over the world, isn't it? And so they become anti-Semitic. Any Christian who becomes anti-Semitic, why would you fight against God's team? Now that doesn't mean that we condone everything Israel does today because they're not being obedient to God. But I'm smart enough to pick the winning team. Alright? God will take care of all that. God is for Israel. The scriptures are very, very clear. Listen to Paul the Apostle in Romans 11.25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of the mystery, that you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. When the church is gone, then God begins with Israel again. Then he says, And so all of Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Romans 11.26, confirming what we study here over in the New Testament. And finally, Paul says in verse 27, The reason being is, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. You see, God's not through with Israel, is He? The church is not Israel. We're the church. And so this was and is the precarious condition of Israel. Israel in her great tribulation has been characterized by these three elements. The promised restoration of Israel. The perilous tribulation of Israel. 
and the precarious condition of Israel. You understand Israel? You understand God's dealing? I hope so. It's imperative that you know where we stand in the church age. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing our simple truth study of Jeremiah 30 to a close by reminding us of the ever-unfolding prophetic narrative of the nation of Israel. And just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled Israel's Tribulation and Deliverance are available for only $4 on CD. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is simply Israel's Tribulation and Deliverance. Or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com